Insight and Awareness Spiritual Explorer. Soul Intuitive, Emotional and Spiritual Mentor and Award-Winning Author, Lorraine Nylon. Welcome Explorers and thank you for being part of the adventure. Today we have Peter Elson and he's an author of numerous books but today we're going to talk about When Souls Awaken, Real Life Accounts of Past Lives and Lives Between Lives regressions. How would you describe yourself besides an author? Uh, I would say a regression therapist. Right. And can you, for anyone that doesn't know what that is, can you give a brief outline of what that actually is? Well, in our case, I mean, there's regression has a lot of uh, meanings. It could mean within this life, for example, in psychotherapy, you could go regressing somebody through their childhood if there's traumas if if there's you know things that need to be uncovered hey, considering that 90 percent of our mind is unconscious so when you go into the regression you would go in somebody's childhood and and try to find uh, things that may need to be uncovered but in our case it, you know the spectrum is larger so we go back through the womb which is a really a special experience. We don't spend too much time there because you could make a whole therapy just womb regression, yeah. right? Yeah. But then we go back to past life regression. So past lives, if you believe in it, it has to, of course it has to be the number one criteria, otherwise it wouldn't make sense. But the idea of past life regression means is that we acknowledge that today I am the result of actions, situations that have occurred before this birth. So basically it's whatever lies outside the visible spectrum or the implied spectrum that we have this one life. And so what we call talent, what we call a potential that you, let's say you see a child and the child has talent. It's just a word you could say, well, that is due to my childhood upbringing, my parental influence, my exposure, my genetics. But it doesn't always explain talents that seem to be having no foundations in this life whatsoever. Um, Inclinations, even if it's not a talent, it's an inclination that would be hard to explain. And so we are thinking, well... Yes, you're influenced by your parents, your environment, your genes, of course. How can it not be? But could there be more? And so regression is going to explore that range before past life. But then we also use the past life to go even further. And we say, we explore like the death. For example, if somebody goes through a death, it's not traumatic at all. As a matter of fact, 99% of the time, it is a positive experience. People say, ah, oh, thank God I leave this earth. <laughs> ready to go. I'm <laughs> ready. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> I want to go. And so then they leave and then they go to the time. Like, like if you believe in past lives, then, you know, the next question would be, well, between the time I die and before I get born, where am I or what am I or Am I a thing? Am I a being? Am I a frequency? Am I conscious? And all of that. So we're going to explore that. And we imply that, yes, 
you were you are at that point not just conscious but you're actually more conscious because you're now momentarily not subject to the conditioning of a body and an environment and a paradigm of birth and so you are then more in a soul state and so though we call it regression to answer your question we use regression to get to that elevated state of consciousness where then we can have a look at what prompted you to take this birth or what is your purpose and so on and so forth so when so when we're in between lives uh you know how we say we've got a life plan or I, I call it a you know a blueprint, which I actually refer to as a bit of a mud map. You know, not everything's locked in, but there are going to be experiences that you're going to have, and how you get there might be slightly different depending on your free will. What kind of things are we organising before we come down? What have you discovered in your therapy with others? You know, what's interesting is it's a nice question because you know. You, in that state, first of all, the question arises, well, what am I in that state, right? I'm much yeah. less of a, a conditioned person than I would be here on Earth. It's very hard to us to think of ourselves as, you know, something other than a human being, right? And then a human yeah. being being in a situation of a house, a family, and this and that. So the soul, when it's out of the body, it's going to have different priorities than a body, embodied soul would have. We think about money, we think about security, we think about, you know, uh, these things. But the soul will be more inclined to look at the big picture because, okay, if I have lived, if I, I, if I am living multiple lives, then it's going to be aware of, of this trajectory, of these lives that have been lived and the implication of, okay, where am I really going? Like, do I have an end point? So it's going to keep these two things in mind. Like, what do I still need to learn? I mean, backwards, looking backwards. But it's going to look forward and say, well, I have this end goal, this end trajectory. And whatever I'm going to set in motion in this bird has to be in alignment with these bigger things. So, so, so what sort of... Sorry, what sort of end goals do we have? What are we oh, aiming for? You know, I, when I work with people, it's always bigger things. It's like love. Uh, some people say, I just want to be a being of love. Um, sometimes you may find guides that, are, you know, you find more evolved people. They, well, it's a, it's a you know, sketchy statement, evolved people, but... You know, often we find people that even while they're evolving, they are kind of guides. They they come and every life is a life of teaching, of sharing. Whereas other people, they say, you know, I want to work towards my freedom in the highest yeah. sense. Yeah. Others, they, they just, you know, want to be, yeah, I mean, contributing. Helping. This could be very specific things that people do. Right. Okay. Oh, that's interesting because I've read a lot about the evolution of the soul, and that we're that that our life purpose is, you know, to put it very plainly, and it's a lot more complex than this. Is that we are constantly trying to learn the truth of our own essence, mm -hmm. and that how to be of that without control and without judgment and without all the things that creates like a limit 
around us. Well, that's so, the highest uh, way of looking at it, right? But mm. not everybody is there to grasp that reality. I mean, when you go through these sessions, it matters. Not everybody has the same goal because at that point in evolution, this is as far as they can see. It's not that in that state they are enlightened. They are not. They are still, even in that state, conditioned to a certain degree, depending on their evolution. And what you're saying, it's very rare to find somebody, even if you go into the yogi, you talk to yogis, you talk to great, you know, awakened beings and, and those striving towards that state of, of total enlightenment, that is still a minority of people that if you ask them, what do you want? Well, I, I just want to basically be totally free and dissolved into consciousness and be like a drop in the ocean and I want to merge into that. Now you're talking more, you know, how the oriental ideas would be a little bit applied. And so, but there is... Great. Yeah, yeah. I, when I when I look at people and, and when I read their systems, right, what I see is there's some souls and there's, there's no scaling system to it. It's just where we are in our development. And like there's some souls that I call that they're just they're just going to do reconnaissance. They're just going to experience different things and have reactions to them and they're not really going to explore their inner world. And then you have other people that know that their stumbling blocks has been, say, resentment. You know, they get stuck on resentment and, you know, judgment or there'll be a little combination. So they're planning this life to really deal with that. So they'll have experiences, the reconnaissance, but they'll also have the the internal will to learn more about it, deal with it and and try to resolve the issues within them that come from past lives and this life. And then you have other souls that I call the rock un- no rock unturned, which they are trying to deal with a lot of unresolved issues that they've accumulated so that, and it's not more like enlightenment that I look for, to be honest with you, even though that's you know consciousness and all the rest of it but it's that that true understanding of know thyself and really deal with whatever is holding holding you in the self negative patterns and those kind of things so it's really coming down to those core issues within yourself that are holding you not letting you really evolve and move forward. Yeah, that's the way I look well, at it. It seems to me that you're well informed in the subject because that is, I mean, in the nitty gritty, you know, when we do day, I mean, we do this all the time. This is what we do full time, me and my wife both. And, you know, this is what we encounter, exactly what you say. I mean, this is exactly what we find in our sessions. And, and you know, sometimes a session could be just dedicated to, that particular topic because the way we work is we we go back to you could say well there's a lot of past lives and it's impossible to go in a session to all these past lives and then go to like you know you one session is already three and a half four hours by the time you're done and so we generally mm-hmm. go to one one past life with the request to the higher self go back to the most relevant past life right so we have a target we're not just going to dig in the past you can do that too you can just say 
I'm going to do one session with past lives and we're going to be exploring. This yeah. is a lot of fun. I used to do it in my early days. Today, we are more a little bit targeted because also people need to be targeted because they come because they have a certain quest, a certain issue, a certain uh, obstacle, or they need clarity about their direction. And so we're, we're asking the higher self, go back to this relevant past life. And then we're going to come to that life that is relevant to what you say, an issue I've been working with or have been going through, which then helps me understand why and how I'm to deal with what's going on today. But yeah. it's not always bad. Sometimes, more often than not, we see actually past lives that are really good. And giving courage to the soul, looking at that past life, like, oh, my God, I already went through that. To reawaken in them this, this capability and this courage that, oh, my God, I have already developed these qualities and I had completely forgotten because of my current circumstances. And that knowledge, that insight, and that reawakening of that, that moment is giving them then the strength to deal with whatever is going on today. And I totally agree with you that often it's that no rock unturned or exploring or finding out what is going on. The sessions are mostly based all around these topics. However, there is a few ca small category of people because we have to also acknowledge that if somebody goes through all these things, right, and evolves that these karmas, they slowly get worked out. And they are not necessarily facing so many issues rather than they having hunger to explore their higher potential, a hunger to just be love, to be freedom, to be in the light. And yeah. we get many wonderful souls that experience that in that life between life and then search for that expression in their day-to-day -day life that they don't want to be just anymore an ordinary being going through stuff but they want to experience they want to become want to live in a certain state of consciousness a state of expression that is just like a an artist of life i like that yeah, yeah. so so when you've done your um, research and I mean because you've explored this for a long time this isn't something that you've just you know you've you've gone on a self-discovery journey for for a very long time and traveled to different places of the world what is it that it stands out to you that you can see that people are changing people are becoming more interested in understanding themselves is that what are you seeing that collectively uh, you wouldn't tell it when you look at the media because that is obviously owned by vested interests that want to keep us in fear and giving us the notion that things are going backwards. But in my humble opinion, it's the opposite. Indeed, I agree with you that collectively, I think there is definitely an awakening. I mean, there's an awareness of our human potential. There is a search for, for greater understanding. And particularly the idea that within us, there is such an incredible reservoir of, of whatever it is that we're looking for. And I, I mean, just look at the numbers, the people that are coming to us, we, they come from far and wide. We do regressions to people from all over the world, both Zoom as well as in person. And okay. there's just a tremendous um, interest and there is so many wonderful souls 
But, you know, of course, we are still in a niche because it implies the idea of past lives. And when you look at the established religious traditions, they are not too much into that, except Buddhism and Hinduism and Vedic ideas, yoga and all that. But look at the idea of yoga. I mean, today, everybody's doing yoga. And yeah. whether you like it or not, it is rooted in Eastern thought. And it will rub off somehow or other to uh, an understanding greater than what we have been used to. So I, I do think that these things are becoming more mainstream. And at the end of the day, the potential in all of us is to explore and to expand. And one day or other, you're bound to you know, stumble upon these thoughts and these ideas. And, and you're going to look at whatever I have been doing is all right, but it's not enough and I want more. And so people are going to look for that. I think it's innate in our human spirit. Yeah, I, do too. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. And I think we, um, we, you know, the fundamental question that we all get to a stage where we'll ask, we may not pursue the answer, but, you know, why are we here? You know, everyone sort of resonates with that question. So. Yeah. So, and how how do you explain that when someone asks you, "Why am I here?" what what's your what's your simple answer to that? Well, it depends who's asking and under what circumstances. So that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> because uh, you know, don't give unsolicited advice is my number one uh, you know position, and I respect all the traditions, whatever path somebody's on that is you know there's many ways to climb the mountain from the north the east the south and the west so first of all i would i would find out first of all where from which angle of the mountain they're rising uh, climbing and within that map yeah. i would say you know follow that path i there, I, I wouldn't give it a, a straightforward opinion because at the end of the day my opinion is also one of the maps I mean, who says that what I think is is the ultimate reality? Definitely not. So I, I wouldn't like to give one answer to that because of all these different traditions and because they, all these traditions help us one way or other on the path. Yeah. And I, I would say I would acknowledge that first and foremost. But then, you know, within the confines, because if you're a therapist, you're going to, these questions are going to be asked to you, obviously, particularly the work that we do. And so if you look at neuro-linguistic programming, one of, the, one of the fundamental mantras is that nobody sees the actual terrain. We only see a map superimposed on it. Oh, yeah, you know? I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's not that we shouldn't give advice, but it has to be in the confines of that map that person is working with. If you just give one, you know, blatant idea that this is, the path forward for everybody, you would not do them a service because, first of all, they wouldn't comprehend that, they wouldn't appreciate that, and they are maybe not ready to expand that map. So first discover what the map is, and then within those boundaries, try our best to, in the most kind and way, to see, well, could you do this? Have you thought about this? The main thing is not so much to give an advice as to what they call chunking up. And that's really what regression does. That's really what I have found to be the most important aspect of this work. Can I lift somebody? Can we help somebody out of their limited paradigm? So if I'm a conditioned being, right, I'm subject 
to body and mind identification. I, I think I am this person. I think I am this man, this woman from this country, from this religion, from these parents. It's like a bubble. It's like a paradigm. And as long as I'm confined to that paradigm, then my answers are going to be, I'm going to look only within that paradigm for a solution. Yeah. So if we could chunk up their awareness outside the paradigm for just a moment and say, hey, you know, there is this reality, this possibility that may perhaps we haven't yet thought about, giving me a bird's eye view of me outside the paradigm in context of everything around it. Yeah. Now, that will give a tremendous sense of relief, of possibility, of freedom. And however you do that, right, whatever therapy you'll be using or whatever method you'll be using, that would be my advice. I would prefer to take somebody on a journey. So we, do, we don't just do regression. We also do a lot of one-hour imagery journeys, therapeutic imagery journeys. And we generally use those techniques to lift people outside that paradigm and say, hey, how about that? Yeah, I agree, because everybody's path is unique and, and should be respected, you know, so and it's a, it, it is a combination of all our life experiences and lives experiences, I suppose, yes. that bring us to each point. So I think I think the important thing for people to remember is, is if, you, if you're noticing the limitations within yourself, then start challenging those beliefs and see where it takes you and be prepared to go into what we would consider the unknown instead of trying to hold on to belief systems that are possibly not working well for you and, and holding you trapped in that, that position that doesn't let you really evolve and, and and evolving is like an expanding and contracting experience. You know, your your awareness will go out there and you'll you'll get a concept of something. But then you've got to explore it, live it, understand it, for it to become part of your wisdom. And there's lots of different ways that you can do that. So that's yeah, how I look at it. It's the fear that keeps us um hanging on to those patterns, to those behaviors, to those old ways and we are afraid to step out of those belief systems those habits and so what you say to to go beyond that and to be able to to have the courage to step forward but i would say to that that it makes it easier if you uh, if you could give somebody a, a feeling or an experience that would actually make them feel that it's safe to go yeah. there, right? Yeah, because the unconscious doesn't like change. The unconscious is like what it is. And yeah. so if we can say somebody, if we can give them a journey and say, well, hey, how did that feel? Say, oh, man, I've never felt this before. I mean, wow. Then they would. the unconscious is going to remember that and it's going to look for that again and it's going to break some of those limitations in search of that experience. Yeah, definitely. So when you've when you're working with people and and I know you've your book's written about lots of different people that you've worked with and their story, what's the standout story that you learnt the most from from your clients? 
that you've written about in your book. Who 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 is the one that stands out to you? Uh, and I know we shouldn't choose one, but you know, what life lessons have you got from other people? Well, may I give you an example of my next book? <laughs> because if yes, you don't mind, you certainly can. The, our next book is is uh, it's the same concept, but it's 30 cases of past life and life between life regressions. We have no commentaries there. It's just nothing but the cases. And okay. it's an interesting case, I would like, because I knew you were going to ask this question because everybody does. Okay. Uh, so I, <laughs> yeah, but your questions are way better. I must say you're really well informed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, um, the, uh, i give you one interesting example um, about me and my wife, we were seeing this whole family, okay? Uh, not uh, one after, I mean, we have two offices and we can see two people at the same time and some people stay overnight and so on and so forth. And so we saw this, several people of this family. And what was interesting was that the father was a very successful build, builder, like a very wealthy, successful man. And the mom was this wonderful lady, very accomplished. But the son, according to the dad, was more like a pothead, you know? <laughs> it was just like the dad wanted him to be, you know, obviously be training towards, you know, taking over the business and being more involved into the world. And he was just smoking pot all day long, this kid. But then when I saw the questionnaire, because we have a pre-session questionnaire, when I had a, the questionnaire, the kid said, well, my dad is very, you know, I won't say the word exactly because if somebody hears that, it's not nice. But he said my dad is a little bit strong-minded, you could say, right? To say yeah. it very gently. Yeah. And so the kid was struggling with that idea. And they had just lost a son who had died recently. That's one of the main reasons why they all came to see us, to deal with their trauma and their pain and to have an understanding. But they were really wonderful family, very open-minded. And so um, we started working. My wife took one person, I took the other, and we went through the whole family one by one. And I, I remember the case of the son that I was working with. And he was like, what, this 20-year-old, like, yeah, like a pothead hippie type, and it was very, very, very sensitive and, yeah. and gifted. And so we went back into the session, and it turns out you can't make this up. I mean, people that are listening, they may, skeptics may say, you know, this kid is just making this up, or he's stoned or anything. He wasn't stoned when he came to see me. He was <laughs> totally clear. We had given clear instructions not to do that. And if you hear the audio tapes, you would know that there's no way on earth even somebody could even make this up. I mean, it's mm -hmm. so amazing. The kid turned out to be some sort of ruler in some small minor, uh, you know, kingdom. And he described in detail what was going on in this kingdom and his position and what he was doing. And, and eventually, you know, he was very accomplished. He was a meditator, which what took me by surprise that in that era long long ago that this kid was a meditator he would meditate he would have high states of consciousness he would visit his library and study and so on and so a highly evolved soul which was kind of incompatible in a way with the times he seemed to be living in and eventually he was captured by a neighboring kingdom that attacked them 
And they kept him in his own space in the cellar somewhere downstairs in some basement or some, you know, like a jail cell, like the olden, you know, seen the movies, right? And uh, he was sitting there for many years. And I asked him, well, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm actually okay. I said, well, how is that possible? You're okay. Oh, yeah, I'm just meditating. I'm, I'm just at peace. And I said, when you meditate, what happens? He said, well, I go out of my body and I, 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 I'm able to visit other states of consciousness and other realms of existence. I said, wow, this is really amazing. And he described what he was doing while he was in his past life in meditation, so which is pretty remarkable. And eventually he described how he was dragged to the city square and was beheaded. Right. And then he went to the life between life. And so in the life between life, now we have some perspective. We have his life as a king or ruler, whatever that was. And then we have his life today. And then we have the life between life. So we have three things that we can start to look at, right? And so then the, eventually the question came up about what he wanted to do. And, you know, his dad in this life putting a lot of pressure and he said, well, the fact of the matter is that, you know, I have already been there, done that. <laughs> I had my kingdom and I had my power and I had my money and my wealth. And he said, I'm not interested. I want to develop my higher state of consciousness. I want to develop my internal being. And when we went through all of that, it became pretty obvious that the reason why he was a pothead was because he literally, and I always look at, that excessive marijuana use, and forgive me all my friends who smoke marijuana, but from a therapeutic standpoint, I look at it as it's a smoke screen that you put between you and reality outside of yourself. And you want to be behind the screen and for the good or the bad reason, whatever, to leave that to you. But in his case, it was a reason to stay away from the pressure of his dad and just avoid this world. And so we came to the conclusion that Rather than hiding behind the screen, he could, he could stand up for himself and be very clear about what it is he wants. And now he understands why. That it's not out of weakness, but it's out of experience. And that he just used a very limited solution to deal with it. But that his feelings, his intuition was not wrong. He was yeah. not a loser. He actually was the opposite. Yeah. Just his methodologies were not constructive to deal with it. And so, yeah. you know, the, what it showed was that, and particularly since we saw the whole family, right, it gave us this wonderful viewpoint, this overview about what appears to be one thing in behavior. The roots are something completely different. You may see a kid that is introverted, shy, and is no is not capable of so much dealing with this world but it's not because the kid is weak or is not capable of going to school or educating themselves what if this kid in his last life was some native american living uh, you know with grandma studying herbs and whole life in the jungle and living free and in high you know dances around the fire in their last lives and now suddenly you have to sit eight hours a day in some box with yeah. a teacher who teaches subject that you don't care about and then the kids say oh you have hdad you know i mean things are not necessarily what they seem to be and what we call a disease or an affliction 
we have to sometimes reevaluate. And so it takes us collectively to the question like, where are we going? Is this really like helpful for these kids, for the modern world? I mean, you know what I'm saying? So what I've learned to come to your question is that this work will make you reevaluate what is important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, which is a good thing. So, yes. so I'm going to go to our question we ask all our guests is what what does humanity need to acknowledge and understand for us to evolve? I think I'm not sure if everybody would be willing to acknowledge it at this point, but maybe in one way or other we, we, we could, is that we are all potentially divine, that behind this body, behind this mind, our true identity is divinity. And it's not the other way around. I'm not this person that is, when I'm looking in the mirror that I think I am, that rather it's the other way around. What if I could look in the mirror and I could see nothing but light and love and love and expansive awareness? That's what I really am. What if, if I'm out of this body, that's, this is what I would be. And so what, how, if I would understand that, and if I could feel that, and if I could start to bring that awareness into my life, how would it change my, my life? How would I deal with problems? How would I start thinking about myself, my potential, the world around me, the people that I see around me too, because they too are divine. Yeah. How would it affect the way I would solve conflict? How, yeah. how would I rather than fight that? Or it's not, you know, I'm not a believer in all oh, woo woo wah wah and, uh, you know, peace for everybody. You know, I mean, sometimes we need armies, we need, I understand all of that. But deep down inside, if there's a collective consciousness, if there's enough people, that start to look at themselves and others as divine and thereby being able to solve a lot of their mental and existential issues and start feeling better about themselves and thereby treating others better. Yeah. Would it change things? It'd have to. It'd have to. I, I explain it to people as think of your your conscious being, you you know, you're the part of you that is divine. And then we put this big, thick jacket of all the unresolved emotions, all our fears, all our control structures. You know, we've we've comp- made it very complex. And we keep looking down and seeing the jacket and we don't see what's underneath the jacket. And right. if, if, if we start working out how to take this jacket off, all of a sudden, even if you haven't taken the jacket off, just wanting to is going to alter how you view yeah. things. Yeah. And we take it progressively too. I mean, it doesn't all have to come off at once. Every layer I I be able to let go of every every misconception I'm able to every like a layer of an onion. Every layer it it starts allow, allowing more of that light to come within. And if we are depressed, if we are we're sad, we are in despair, then know that behind all of that, behind that mind, because you're not the mind. Behind that mind, there is that light, that love that you are. And look there for answers and, yeah. and don't allow this mind modification. Don't allow it to overwhelm your awareness because it's just like the clouds are passing in front of the sun. Go to the sun behind the clouds and that is who you are. And we could feel that. It's not as far away as we think it is. 
Yeah, that's right. We've we've put a lot of belief structures in between us feeling yes. that that get in yes. the way. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's brilliant what you're um you know what you're bringing and explaining to people because the more we understand the the better choices and the better concepts we can align to. You know, I always say you shouldn't really align to a belief system. It's a concept. Then go away and explore it and see if it resonates with you um, and then see where it takes you and see what, what other concepts and ideas it brings forward because it is an ever-evolving, you know, moving and unfolding adventure. Yeah. 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 Which, which is a beautiful thing when you embrace it. It is. That's when you start living. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah, nice way to put it. So it's time to play Flip the Book. So would you like to do a self-reflective exercise and you get to choose between book one, two or three? Uh, book two. Book two. Okay, interesting. I was hoping you'd get this book. So this is Breaking Free from the Chains of Silence, but in this exercise we only use the back of the book because it's a book for abuse victims but in the back are some of the core essences, the essences of our soul. So whatever you pull up now will probably be very important to you and something that you notice when it's missing. It'll be something that you register. So could you give me a number between 189 and 215? 189 to 215. 189 to 215. 201. Uh, five paragraphs to pick from. One, Number two, one. Number one. Okay. So this is under the heading of independence. When your fear turns to a codependency on observing the cause and effect of your own emotions on others, you lose autonomy. You lose your autonomy because you are operating reactively to what others are doing and saying or reacting from your paranoia about what they might be doing or saying. This leaves you susceptible to others' judgment or your perception of what you may be judged on, which causes you to evaluate what others think and leads to you discounting your own awareness. This can change your priority and cause you to dumb yourself down eroding your understanding of your soul and leaving you existing but not living your truth. So independence. So independence must be important to you. It is. Yeah. And I think that that there is what you recognised you don't want to do. You don't want uh, to operate. You want me to comment on this? Or yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If I'm honest, the, the idea of independence has been, and the idea of not to be codependent has been uh, definitely in the first few decades of my life been the main theme of my life. And so, but codependency goes very far. I mean, I'm actually writing another book, which has nothing to do with any of this. And I, one of my chapters is called Codependency. Mm -hmm. And if you look at codependency, it goes so far and so deep in our human fabric that even to think that I'm a human being is codependency. Because if I'm spirit, 
that I'm codependent to the notion that I'm a man or that I'm a human being, that I'm an individual. And this may go very far in this particular moment, but codependency has an infinite amount of layers because at the end of the day, I, I am, and as you are, as everybody else, I am part of an infinite reality. That's how I look at, at existence. So I'm a drop in the ocean. And the idea, I mean, to answer your earlier question, because you were asking me in relation to how do you say it to other people, but when you ask me personally, my goal has been more maybe the goal of the yogis, you know, the the Indian saints and sages, that, and then more in the non-dual sense, that I'm a drop in the ocean and my goal is where... Not only am I aware that I'm part of the ocean, but could we even go further and saying, I don't even want to be a drop. I want to become the ocean. And so the idea of separation is codependency because I'm holding on to that what limits me from becoming one with all things. So the sense okay. of separation, and to put it in simple terms, it starts at the beginning. If I say I'm a Dutchman, then I'm separate from you, Ozzy. If I say I'm a man, I'm separate and opposite to you as a woman. Uh, and so if I say I'm white, then I'm separate from you who may have another color. So I'm codependent on my notion of these limitations that I have put upon myself and I have identified with. So every layer of identification is, in a way, of being, in some way, codependent. Because yes. I see strength and identity and comfort out of that belief system and that identification. So the more I can let go of these limitations, the more I become one with you. If I don't see myself as Dutch, but I see myself as a human being, then I become more close to you. If I don't care what race or country you're from, you're my sister, you're my co-companion in this planet. You know, if, if I don't even see you as a woman, you know, I you're my spirit being. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. but I can go as far as I want to go. And so for me, codependency means uh, identifying with that what limits me from becoming one with all things and all beings. That's a really good way to look at it. See, I look at, I had never thought of it as a codependency on anything that you were saying because I look at that as I'm a soul in a human body, so there's separation like you're saying, and that all these different things are just experiences that I'm having this time. So I just you know, in, in, instead of defining myself with the experience, I acknowledge them as experiences, you know. And, um, yeah, but it is an interesting concept to explore. It's like what are we codependent on that causes us more and more separation? Well, it, it has to do with the fact that I used to be a monk in an Eastern tradition because <laughs> that, the fundamental principles, if you go back, and uh, for that we have to go a little bit into the science of yoga, and, um, um, you know, when, when a monk in an Eastern tradition becomes a monk, they don't take vows, all right? Okay. They sit around a fire and they offer into the fire 
what in Sanskrit are called 64 upadis, that means limiting adjuncts. And limiting adjuncts are all those things that separate me from being aware that I am the soul. So they call it, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of these, they call them Mahavakya. So the great sayings like, you know, Tattvamasi means you are that, you know. Yeah. Aham Brahmasmi, yeah. I am one with Brahman, the infinite reality. And so that is basically a, a, an Oriental and Eastern Vedic idea that you and I, we are not really individuals, but we are all one in an infinite expanse of existence. And so those 64 limiting adjuncts that at the time of being a, becoming a monk uh, in that ceremony symbolize that I then detach myself, or at least I'm trying because you're like, <laughs> really detached. It is a, you know, it's a symbology, right? So you're sitting there and then you're making it conscious. You said something earlier, even the idea that I'm trying to take that code off itself is part of the solution. So if I'm aware of that and consciously living that, that I'm every time taking one layer of that code off. And so this code in this case consists of 64 layers of the code. Okay. And each time when I'm doing the ceremony, I'm offering one. Consciously identify, I make myself aware that these are the things that keep me separate from you. And so we don't take vows, but to whom? To what? <laughs> yeah. Because now I make myself codependent on some organization or some some tradition. No, no, they go way beyond that. They say, no, no, that that, that whole idea is, is don't even bother, you know. Go, <laughs> yeah, go yeah. deep. So that's a yeah. beautiful thought. So when you ask me about codependency, this is what I'm thinking about. Yeah, and that's like a big job. Yeah, it's a big job to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, and it and it's uh, it it's something that it takes you layers to understand. Yes, it takes you layers to understand it. So yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation, and thank you for being part of the show. My pleasure. Wonderful. 